0: What's good boys and girls, welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. Today is Monday, the 16th of August. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, access anything else that you're geoblocked from. LibertyShield.com will also keep your data safe online. So go to the website, LibertyShield.com and use the code EPL. VPN, you get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Do check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, now available on Etsy. So just download the Etsy app, search EPL Index, search Anfield Index, you get your choice of merch. Right, folks, it's a new season. It's the same old arsenal. Brentford beat Arsenal 2-0 on Friday night. Their first ever Premier League game. Arsenal coming into the season with renewed hope. Renewed optimism. Arteta's the man. We've got Ben White. And didn't you look like a bunch of clowns? Well, Arsenal's defensive performance in this game was a shambles. From start to finish, it was a shambles. And to be honest... Brentford were worthy winners. Brentford looked the more dangerous team, they looked the more positive team, certainly the more aggressive team. Sergi Canos put them one up on twenty two minutes, lovely right footed shot into the bottom corner, gave Leno no chance. And the second goal from Christian Norgaard is something I think is going to be problematic for Arsenal this summer, or this season rather. It's a it's a long throw into the box. All it is is a big Lump into the box. And I genuinely don't know what the Arsenal defence is doing. They're all over the place. They're at sixes and sevens. None of them can deal with the high ball. None of them can deal with the bounce. Ben White gets completely caught underneath it. He was bullied throughout. I mean, Ivan Toney absolutely rinsed the poor fella. And uh, I think he's got Lukaku next, which should be fun. But Arsenal's defence was just all over the place. Now they started with Callum Chambers at right back. My assumption is the more defensive right back in there to protect Ben White a little bit. It didn't work. Chambers was poor. He was hauled off. Um, for, I think Nuno Tavares come on for him. But you look through the Arsenal, the Arsenal team, Saka didn't start, which was weird. Now he got a great welcome onto the pitch. The entire sta- stadium stood and welcomed him onto the pitch, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, rousing round of applause from everybody. The Brentford fans seemed to leave, lead it. So that was good. But he didn't start. I didn't understand not starting Bellerin or Cedric. And if you're not going to start them, why have you got two right backs on your bench? Like, why is your bench made up of two right backs? Just doesn't make any sense to me. They went with Xhaka and Lukonga in midfield. Lukonga is a good player, but he wasn't ready for this start. And he just seemed to get bypassed quite a bit. Smith-Rowe didn't have the impact I think he would have hoped to have. Martinelli was poor. Balogun looked a little bit lost. Had one half-decent chance. Kind of fell over. Arsenal just didn't look like a a group of players that had played together a whole bunch. They looked like they might have met before the game and just been sent out there to do a job. But they got no job done. Uh, They were beaten and beaten well. Brentford fully deserving... Of their three points. And welcome to the Premier League, Brantford. It has been a long time coming. We have been waiting on you. And hopefully, hopefully you do yourselves justice this season. Uh, Moving on into Saturday. Manchester United 5. Leeds United 1. An absolute walloping. Bruno Fernandes with a hat-trick. Mason Greenwood and Fred rounding out the scoring. Luke Ayling scored an absolute worldie for Leeds. Leeds though were just torn apart. Paul Pogba put in the single best performance he has put in in a Manchester United shirt. He got four assists and they're real assists. They're not, it's not that thing where you play a ball to somebody who's, you know, 25 yards out and they ping it in the top corner or they beat four players and score or anything like that. These were four legitimately brilliant passes that he picked out to set up two for Bruno, one for Greenwood, and one for Fred. And Pogba was brilliant throughout. His ball progression was obviously great, but he worked really, really hard. Defensively, he was always switched on, always where you want him to be. He started on the left. They went with McTominay and Fred in midfield and Pogba playing wide left with uh, Bruno as the 10, and then Dan James wide right. But he was given freedom to drop into midfield and in Rome, and he popped up all over the place. And his understanding with Bruno was tremendous. Now, Bruno scored three really good goals. The second of his goals, I would massively put the blame on Luke Ayling, who's on the line. It's a dribbler of a shot towards him after Bruno cuts back to throw the goalkeeper off. He hits the shot. Ailing should should clear that. There's no doubt. Ailing was dreadful. Liam Cooper was dreadful. Struyuk was dreadful. Leeds defence, just the, the whole lot of them. Dallas the lot. They were awful. You wouldn't see that type of defending at League One level. It was so, so poor. And I said last season, I didn't think Ailing and Cooper were Premier League players. Fine as squad players, but not as starters. And again, they've just, you know, they've doubled down on how poor they were at times last season. Ailing will get away with it because he's good going forward and he scored a great goal. But defensively, he's very, 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 very suspect. And Cooper just doesn't have what it takes to be a, you know, a starting Premier League centre back. Um, young Strujic, he made some mistakes, but he's young. He's 21. You expect him to make mistakes. I thought it was odd that Calvin Phillips didn't start. Now, maybe he just hasn't had as much run in pre-season. As Bielsa would like. But he also didn't come off the bench. It was just flat out weird. Um Also thought it was strange that Firpo didn't start at left back. Dallas did not have a good game. At all. But no Leeds player did. No Leeds player comes away from that game with any credit. They were soundly beaten. It could have been more. United were toying with them at times. And seemed like. At any point. They could go up another gear. Now, it wasn't all flawless from United. A couple of shaky moments defensively. But all things considered, well worth their 5-1 win. And they got to unveil Raphael Varane before the game. That deal finally done. only took them, you know, seven years, I think, they've been trying to sign him. But great for them to finally have him in the door. In credit to Lindelof, he played really well. He got an assist, set up one of the Bruno goals. Um... So he made a case that, you know, maybe he's the one that stays with Varane. We know it's not going to be. We know it's going to be Varane and Maguire. And then Lindelof as your third centre back is a pretty good situation for United to be in. Into the 3pm kickoffs then. Leicester City won. Wolves nil. Uh, Jamie Vardy with the only goal of the game. Nice little flick, uh, from a good cross from Ricardo Pereira, who made the goal with a moment of genius to beat two defenders over on the touchline. Um Vardy I thought looked very very lively. I thought Leicester in general looked very controlled in this game. They had to play with a Marty next to Sionchu at center back because they're without Fafana obviously. Uh he's injured. Johnny Evans injured and they just they felt like Vestergaard seemingly wasn't ready to start. He did come on and they moved to a back 3. I will say Adama Traore should have scored at least one goal in this game though as good as Leicester were and I definitely think Leicester were the better team in the game. Adama had multiple opportunities to score. One great opportunity when he broke through the middle and went through one-on-one but put his shot wide. Another that he made himself uh, beating Vestergaard to a to a high ball, taking it down and a powerful shot that he got away but just not not good enough. I think Leicester Showed a couple of flaws. But all in all, I do think they deserve the win. A little bit concerned with that Wolves team, though. I mean, it's the defense that we saw last season. Uh, Kilman, Cody and Sice. Cody was all over the place. Defensively, he was just shocking. Um Three notable errors from him in this game, including for the goal. You'd wonder if he has... Some sort of guarantee in his contract that he has to play. Because he's not playing on form. He hasn't shown anything to suggest he gets in this team on form. Not in a couple of years. Um Ruben Neves had a bit of a poor game. And I wonder if maybe the speculation around him all summer. That he could be for sale or that he is for sale. Maybe that's affected him. But promising signs. Jimenez got through the 90. Adama looked lively. Thought Anna Hoever put in a good showing down the right as well. All things considered, a good three points for for Leicester. Gets them off the mark. And for Wolves, they're going to need to get their act together a little bit, especially defensively. Chelsea 3, Crystal Palace nil. Marcus Alonso, Christian Pulisic, a.k.a. N or Amar. And Trevo Chalaba scoring the goals. Chalaba with his debut goal for the club. Brilliant goal as well. Uh, Alonso scored a fantastic free kick. Pulisic bundled home after a good move. And Chalobah with a long range effort. Palace did not look good. They looked disjointed. Now I will say I thought Will Zaha should have scored when he got through one on one. But he was a bit slow and a bit cumbersome in his movement. And he allowed Rudiger, Rudiger to get back at him. Chelsea showed a lot of squad depth with the team they started. And then what they were able to bring on. The likes of Reese James. Uh, Chilwell, Havertz, Hudson Adoy, Abraham, Thiago Silva, Kurt Zuma, all on the bench. Whereas, you know, Palace don't have that. They had Robert Steele, Robert Street, Reese Hannam, Scott Banks, uh, and Raksaki, those type of players on the bench, young players, academy graduates. Palace have got a long road ahead this season because obviously big turnover in the squad. New manager, new style of play, new direction for the club. Looked a little bit thrown together in this game. Didn't look like a team that had really um got a lot of reps in as a unit. Ward, Coyote, Guehi and Mitchell as a back. forward. obviously never played together in a, in a real game before. AU redeveloped MacArthur and Schlupp. All players that were there last year, that's kind of where you were hoping they'd get some sort of experience continuity. Midfield looked a mess. Uh Zaha played up front with Mateta, who I think went off injured. Um, Chelsea, good value for the win. Should have been a couple more. Should have got at least one or two more. But like I say, Palace should have scored at least one. Well, no, just one. Let's be fair. Palace should have scored one. Well beaten on the day. Delighted for Chalaba. Delighted that he gets his goal. Delighted that he gets an opportunity. How many opportunities he gets, we'll wait and see, but really, really happy for him that he got this opportunity to start. And when he got his opportunity, he took it. Uh, last one before we take our break then. Watford three, Aston Villa two. What a bizarre game of football. Um, Watford go one up after 10 minutes. Bonaventura. Ishmael Assar makes a two on 42. Um, He looked terrifyingly good. So quick, so purposeful, really aggressive in how he took on defenders. Uh, My friend and yours, Tyron Mings, absolutely all at sea for these goals. Positional sense of a wheelie bin. Didn't know where he was meant to be, didn't close down runners, just allowed people to run into space, allowed them to run towards goal. And didn't try and pressure them. Very, very poor from Mings. Uh Chucho Hernandez. Cu- Cuco Hernandez? I don't know. He made his debut after. about. It's been... It's been at least four years, I think, since Watford signed him. I have to check this as I'm talking. But Watford has been waiting for this kid to get a work permit since 2017. He'd been with Granada... They'd brought him over from Deportivo Pereira, who was his youth team in or the, the team he came through the academy of in Colombia. Um, Watford brought him in in 2017. He's played for Huesco, Huesca, Huesca, Mallorca and Hatafe over the past four seasons. Um, he is super talented and he showed why they've been waiting so long on him, why he wasn't one that they looked to sell. Before he got his work permit as has happened with a couple of other players at the club. He was just tremendous when he came on. Scored a brilliant, brilliant goal. Worked down the left, cut back inside onto his right foot. And just bent a shot past Emmy Martinez into the far corner. Absolutely tremendous goal. And Watford were really good value for their 3-0 lead. Now Villa did pull two back. Uh, Bailey. Came on, good cross for John McGinn, really good controlled half volley from McGinn to put the ball in the top corner. And then a Danny Ings penalty on 97. I have to say, I thought the decision to start Ashley Young as a winger was just a shambles from Dean Smith. An absolute shambles. I I get that you were delighted to get him back, but it's not like you were competing against top clubs to sign him. You were competing against Watford and maybe you agreed with him early on that he could start against Watford or whatever but the guy can't play anymore as a winger. When he went to fullback he was fine but he can't play as a winger anymore. Bailey should have started. I thought Bertrand Traore should have started as well. When he came on for El Ghazi the difference was, was huge. But Villa've got some, some improving to do. Probably still need to bring in a couple more players. They definitely need to bring in a centre back over Mings, but, you know, seems unlikely. Um, great win for, for Watford. Great, great win for Watford. Uh, interesting team, that 4-1-4-1 4-1 shape. Todd Sar looked really, really good. Really, really good. I think, if he continues to play like that, they're going to get a big, big bid for him next season or next summer. They'll get a big bid for him. If he keeps playing like that, someone's going to throw down 40 million for him. He's not as young as you'd think. Um, he is 23. Kind of think of him, you think 2021, 20, but no, he's 23. He'll be 24 in February, but when he's on, he's just tremendous. Last season, Thirteen goals in thirty-nine games in Championship was a very good return. Started off this season though, and, and tormented Villa, absolutely tormented Villa was the best player on the pitch for me. Um And Villa, like I say, they they just couldn't cope with him. Target couldn't cope with him. Even when Young went to left back, he struggled with him. He, he had a bit more nous and a bit more knowledge. Plus, Sar had gotten tired, but he had more of an idea. But Target, Matt Target, could not deal with Ishmael Sar at all. And got no help from Mings. None whatsoever. Uh, We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll rattle through the other five games from this opening Premier League weekend. See you in a few. Right. Welcome back. So, let's rattle through the other five games from this Premier League weekend. We have Everton 3... Southampton won. Adam Armstrong on his debut for Southampton. Put them one in up. Really nice goal. Michael Keane made an absolute hames of things, but Armstrong onto it quickly and a really, really good finish past Jordan Pickford. Richarlison would make it 1-1 in the 47th minute as Everton came out into the second half. A bit more lively, a bit renewed. Rafa obviously made a difference at half-time. and Richarlison, to be fair, good reactions. Gets his foot to the ball when Maybe defender should have, t- no, not definitely. Defender should have done better. But Richarlison to his credit gets to the ball first and makes it 1-1. Abdoulaye Dukhuri with a tremendous goal to make it 2-1. Uh, control the ball in the box, little turn, gets it out of his feet and just puts it in the top corner. You could have stuck two goalkeepers in there. They weren't saving it. Poor Alex McCarthy had no chance to stop that shot. An absolute rocket off his right foot. And then Dominic Calvert-Lewin makes it three on 81 minutes to wrap up the victory. Well-deserved for Everton on the day. Definitely the better team. Concerning how light that Southampton team looks. Just in terms of fight, willingness to run, willingness to put everything in... Ralph Hassonhutel's teams are built on that work rate, that fight, that determination. And while Southampton's first half was quite impressive, as soon as Everton came back at them, as soon as Everton grabbed the game back, Southampton just seemed to fold. Interesting team selection. Didn't think Liverman- Livermento would start. Thought Kyle Walker Peters would have retained his his starting spot at right back. Theo Walcott starting in one of those advanced attacking midfield positions disaster, how Stuart Armstrong didn't A start or B come on as a sub, I don't know and then J- Jack Stevens at centre back when Bednarak is sitting on the bench Said Hampton had better players on the bench than they did in the first team Walker Peters, Armstrong I would say Elianassi could have done a better job than Walcott for sure Diallo, he came on to be fair uh, and Bednarak, all should have been in the team. Maybe not Eldian but all the others should have been starting. Really didn't understand Ralph's team selection for this one. Thought it was poor. Um, they've got work to do as well now. Obviously, with Vestergaard gone, Salisu becomes the starting left side centre back, which is what they bought him for. But they need depth because at the moment they've only got three centre backs we're talking about. And even at that, Jack Stevens is a a backup. He's not someone you even want as your third centre-back. He's your fourth or fifth centre-back when you play a back too. So they've got work to do. They need to bring in another body at centre-back, another body in midfield, and probably another body up front. A lot of work for us that to do and not a whole bunch of money to do it uh, because of the ownership situation. Burnley won Brighton 2. Burnley 2, uh, sorry Burnley one and up after 2 minutes. James Tarkovsky with the goal. Now I will say I thought this should have been disallowed. He very clearly shoves Neil Mopay to the ground as he makes his way towards the ball. For me, that's a, that's a disallowed goal. It's a foul. It should, the goal should have been disallowed. Burnley played quite well. This was a weird game. Burnley's first half performance was impressive. They created a couple of good opportunities. We saw Goodmanson hit the post. Chris Wood had a half chance, but when Brighton started to make changes. And Brighton's starting 11 was weird. Webster right back. Duffy at centre back. I mean yuck. Uh, Alzetti as the holding midfielder. Behind Mwepo. And Basuma, Bizarre. You've basically got three holding midfielders there. And you're playing two of them in advanced roles. Credit to Graham Pollard though. His substitution has changed the game. He brought on uh, Jakob Motor. And he creates the first goal for Neil Mopé. And then he brings on Alexis McAllister. And he scores the second goal. To give Brighton the, the, the victory. Brighton were probably deserving of the victory. It was a fairly even game. Brighton obviously had more of the ball. You'd always expect that with Burnley. But both teams had 14 shots. Brighton were more accurate with their shooting. As is their way. Brighton tend to be one of the more accurate shooting teams in the league. It's one of the things they look for in players is how, not how many times do you score, but how many times do you get the ball on target. The more you get the ball on target, the more opportunity you have to score. Burnley's lack of depth was quite evident here. I mean, they bring on Brownhill, they bring on Barnes, they bring on Vidra. But you're looking at a bench, Eric Peters is there, I mean, he's late, well, mid, mid-30s now. Barnsley's in his late 30s. Two young players, Bobby Thomas and Lewis Richardson, very, very young, no experience. It's just a very light bench. There's no real depth in this Burnley side. The 11 that started is, is their best 11. Pope, Loughton, Tarkovsky, me, Taylor, Goodmanson, Westwood, Cork, McNeil, Wood and Rodriguez. The three subs that came on, their players, Dice Trusts, and then you've got Nathan Collins, the big money summer signing. That's 15 players. And that's really all you'd want to be using. I mean, Peters and Barsley be fine here and there. But you don't want to be calling on them for a 15 game run if if Loughton or Taylor gets hurt. You, you have to appreciate what Sean Dyche is working with here and what a job he does. And I will say, for Brighton, they had a couple of players obviously out injured the likes of Lampty out hurt but their squad was noticeably better on the day the defence aside the decision to play Duffy was just weird but obviously Veltman was ruled out injured so Webster had to play right back and and Duffy goes centre back but Webster showing again what a very versatile player he is nominally a right side centre back in a, a two played left of the three last year and now playing right back, so showing good versatility, showing he'll do what's needed for the club, and well worth that new contract they gave him in the summer. Liverpool three, Norwich City nil at Carrow Road. The Mo Salah show absolutely phenomenal from start to finish. Liverpool comfortably the better team. Norwich had their moments, had their spells, no doubt. Maybe could have scored one, Uh but Liverpool well worth their well worth their win. Three was. A three-goal gap was a little bit flattering. I will say that. A two-goal gap probably would have been a more fair reflection on how the game went. But the Reds were definitely value for their win. Uh, Salah was brilliant. Mane looked much improved. Jota scored. Firmino came on and scored. So the attack functioning well. The midfield did not until Fabinho came on. Though Nabi Keita had a good game. In defence, Costa Simicus looked good at left-back. Trent was very good at right back. Virgil got 90 minutes under his legs. Uh, played okay. Played okay. Didn't have a whole bunch to do, but played okay. Uh, Joel Matta played very well next to him though. And Alison Becker, good in goal. But I will say to Norwich and their credit, some really good individual performances. Rishika, very, very good. Rupp, Gilmore and Lees Malou in midfield all played well. I thought Todd Cantwell played alright. The defence had moments of looking lacking in pace at, in the centre-back areas. Hanley and Gibson just got turned a little bit easy and couldn't keep up. That's a concern. That might be something they want to address. Gianolas and Arons, just a lack of experience. Arons has one season of Premier League football under his belt, but he's still very young. Giannolas has never played Premier League football before. And some little bits of naive defending at times, but all in all... I thought plenty for Norwich to be happy about. Plenty for them to take heart from. They probably still have a signing or two to make. But, you know, Josh Sargent came on, got his debut. uh Kieran Dowell came on. Adam Adé came on. They did alright when they came on. They caused Liverpool a couple of little worries. Just with pace and movement. So, if Norwich can add a couple more pieces, one up front and one at centre-back, it'd be ideal. A, a poacher type up front. If you could get, if you could get Eddie and Ketty on loan, if he's willing to sign a new deal at Arsenal and go on loan, he'd be perfect. And if you could just get a pacey centre back, someone that has that covering ability behind Gibson or, or, or Hanley. Now, Hanley is the captain, I believe, but he's also the weaker of the two centre backs. I think Christoph Zimmerman's probably the best centre back at the club, but he's, had injury problems and he's had form problems. But if they could just get someone with a bit of pace who could play with Hanley, say, because Hanley will most likely play and with his aerial dominance is probably not the worst thing in the world, but someone with a bit of pace next to him would help them massively. Uh, into Sunday then and a mad game for, for the first Sunday game. Uh, Newcastle two, West Ham four, 1-0 Newcastle, Callum Wilson. Really good header after great work from St Maximum. Aaron Cresswell makes it 1-1 on 18. A uh, bit of a fluke goal. It was a kind of a cross, but went in without a touch, but looked like it took a touch, and it was reviewed by VAR, and they decided it didn't take a touch. It was a, it was a strange one. A very, very strange one. Uh, Jacob Murphy made it 1-1. Said Benrama made it 2, sorry, made it 2-1. Said Benrahma made it 2-2. Thomas Suchek made it uh 3-2 after Mikel Antonio had missed a penalty. Suchek was first to the rebound. Good save by Freddie Woodman. Newcastle defenders just asleep. And then Antonio himself would make it four just three minutes later. West Ham were very, very good value for their win. It must be said, they were definitely the better team. Newcastle just could not deal at all with Mikel Antonio. Really, really could not deal at all with him. Now, they had Jamal Lachelle sitting on the bench, who, in terms of physique and pace, you would think would be the ideal centre-back to deal with him. But Steve Bruce didn't even bring him on. Bruce went with his flat-back five that he loves to play for reasons known only to Steve Bruce. Um I suppose Murphy did play a little bit further forward, but the rest of it was very flat and very dull and very boring and... Other than St. Maximum. I don't really want to talk about Newcastle. Because their defence was a shambles. Their midfield just couldn't get anything going. And St. Maximum was literally a one man show. Creating things for others. He might be. The most individually exciting player in the league. Like when he picks the ball up. People just get out of their seats. It doesn't matter where he gets the ball on the pitch. If he picks the ball up people immediately get a little bit excited about what he might be able to do. And that's nice to see. But at Newcastle, I mean, look, Wilson's a good player. Almiron's a good player. Shelby's a good player. Hayden's a good player. But Shelby and Hayden Hayden are sitting midfielders. He's got Almiron playing in midfield too far back to make an impact. He's playing the flat back five. It's literally set maximum Wilson and everybody else's 30 yards behind them unless Almiron makes a run. Steve Bruce continues to be the most boring manager in the league. And I I know he keeps them in the division. I know he does. And I know he does a good job at keeping them there. Considering the lack of spending. Now they've got Joe Willock in and we'll, we'll see where he goes into this team. How he fits. Will that mean a change of shape? Hopefully yes. Can't be having this flat back five garbage. But... St. Maximin, you just wonder what he would look like in a different team. What would he look like at a top club? I know he's really inconsistent, but he's, he is only 24. So maybe a good manager can shake that inconsistency out of him. The bigger issue with him, obviously, is injuries. You know, last season, he missed 18 games through injuries. The season before, he missed 11, 12, 15 through injury. Maybe it's only a Newcastle thing because before that he'd only ever missed I think 4 games in his career. But since joining Newcastle he just seems to have a lot of injury problems. Hamstring, hamstring, thigh muscle, hamstring, knock, fitness, rest. They're weird things to miss games for. Um, Ankle injury, calf injury, groin injury. A lot of muscular problems. Maybe there's an un- underlying issue that hasn't been addressed, but, um, you do think, like, if, if you put him in, if you put him in Jurgen Klopp's team, what would he look like? I, I get that he'd be frustrating to begin with, but if Klopp could harness all that talent, that ability to make defenders look really, really silly, and what is a good final ball when he makes the right decision, that could be very, very interesting. Uh, on to the final game of the weekend then. The big game of the weekend. Tottenham won. Manchester City nil. Uh, Spurs without Harry Kane. City without much of a clue. Spurs were just a better team. Just the better team on the day. There can be no denying it. Tanganga played right back for Spurs and I think he was the best player on the pitch. I thought he was brilliant at right back. Just really forceful, dominant. Played a few games there last season and looked really good. And I do wonder if Nuno is going to play a back four. And we know Regulon will be the uh, the right back. as of the left back rather. Maybe Tanganga right back for that balance is the way. Because Doherty can't play as a full back. So the guy can't defend. And Aurier I don't think they want him anymore. And let's be honest defensively he's been a bit of a train wreck as well. But if Tanganga can establish himself there, you know you're getting Romero in as one of your centre-backs. They're still in the mix for another. Now, it may be that Tanganga's playing there as a, as a placeholder in case they get uh, Tomiyasu in the Japanese international from, from Bologna that they want. So maybe is just playing there because that's the style of player they want. But I thought he was brilliant. Um, Todd Sanchez looked good. Eric Dyer, a couple of shaky moments. Probably the weak link in that defence. Heusberg and Skip in midfield was an interesting combination. Um, it worked. They got through a lot of work. They won the ball back a whole ton and they kept it moving when they could. And they didn't try and take too much out of the ball. Thought Delhi Ali played quite well as a number 10, worked exceptionally hard, worked exceptionally, exceptionally hard. That might be the hardest working performance of Delhi Ali's last four years. And if Nuno can continue to get that out of him, then Spurs are, are going to be in business. Because that kind of performance from Delhi will r- raise the team around him. Um, Lucas Mora and Stephen Bergvine provided pace and width. And Youngman son got the goal. And again, pace and width. He played centrally, but was constantly dropping out the wings. City could not cope with the pace and the movement. They couldn't cope with the counter attack. Spurs cut them apart. Spurs should have won this game by two or three. Let's be really honest with this. Spurs should have won this game by two or three. City's best chance in the game was a Hugo Lloris mistake on a cross, where he came out for a ball he couldn't get close to and Fernandinho got to it first. That was City's best chance in the game and that was early. They created very little and Spurs cut them apart on counter attacks time and again. Jack Grealish made his City debut. He was awful. Absolutely awful. There's a piece on The Athletic trying to make excuses for him talking about his display being full of charisma. He was garbage. He dived quite a lot. He had a tantrum that he gave away a free kick and accused somebody else of diving. The irony was magnificent. He can't play in a midfield three. He just can't. And they played him in a midfield three with Fernandinho, a pure holding midfielder at this point, and Gundogan, who's You know, can be that sitting holding midfielder if you need him to be. It's not like he was in there with De Bruyne. It's not like he wasn't getting all the defensive help. He had two lads doing all the running for him. And he still couldn't play in the midfield three. Greenwich was just poor. Flat out poor. Sterling was poor. Mares was poor. Uh, Mares and Canseo need to go back to whatever. Barber did that to their hair. And demand a refund and, and somebody to fix it. Both of them were poor. Um, Nathan Aki started next to Ruben Diaz, which was weird. And, uh, Mendy played, Benjamin Mendy played left back. Gary Neville decided that it was all their fault that City had lost. Um, terrified to blame Ruben Diaz for ending. I beg you, go and watch Ruben Diaz for that Spurs goal. It is some of the worst defending you'll ever see. For starters, he's 10 yards deeper than everybody else. Why? I don't know. Then he finally gets into a half-decent position. Then he drops deeper again. And then the shot goes through him. Like, it's not a brilliantly hit shot by Son. It's a left-footed shot with a decent bit of pace that Diaz should block very, very easily. It goes through Diaz, who falls over and finds its way into the corner of the net. It is appalling defending. Absolutely appalling defending for all those who decided to use last year to compare him to Virgil van Dyke. He looks more like Dejan Lover when he plays like that. City were really poor, and I saw City fans after the game doing what they do, crying about it. How are we meant to win the league with this guy and this guy? Right, so the the three names they mentioned. Mendy, 50 million euro ball spent on him. Aki, 40 million euro ball spent on him. And Fernandinho, who by the way is one of the greatest players your club has ever had. So show him a bit of respect. Oh, and Ferran Torres they were mentioning as well. He's a youngster. You were all over him last season when he scored a few goals. So settle yourselves down. Now, Gary Neville, the the tactical wizard that he is, came out with the following statement. Kyle Walker is the best defender of the last 15 years at defending the counter-attack. Just think about that for one moment. Kyle Walker, best defender, 15 years. Neville claimed that if Walker had played, this wouldn't have happened. City would have been fine to defend the counter attack. As if he's able to defend both sides of the field at once. Gary Neville is a fool, an absolute fool. He just is. Uh, he also decided that Harry Kane not playing meant Harry Kane wasn't was leaving. Maybe he will leave. Doesn't look likely at the moment. Uh, Kane was never playing in this game. The guy only came back to train. A few days ago after his quarantine. He's not trained with the full Spurs team yet. So how would he be expected to play? Oh, he's a model professional. Oh, he takes care of himself. Well, I've not been funny, but Harry Kane is one of the least athletic looking people you'll ever see. And while he might take care of himself, he's constantly injured. Constantly injured. Fair play to Mika Richards. Thought he did a really good job at calling out the hypocrisy from... Those around him, including Graham Sunes. And by the way, Suness's claim that Mason Greenwood was the star of the show. Greenwood played really well against Leeds. Pogba was the star of the show. We don't expect four assists from anybody, whether they cost 5 million or 100 million, Graham, We don't expect four assists. We don't expect that level of performance from anybody. Pogba was brilliant. Didn't see you criticize Jack Grealish who cost more than Pogba, he cost hundred million. Where do you get where's his four assists? If we expect that, if that's the level of expectation, Mr Sooness, that you have for a one hundred million pound player, where was your criticism of Jack Grealish? Not a word. Not a single bad word from any of the Sky Pundits about Jack Grealish's stinker yesterday. Not one. Now I told you when he signed, Jack Grealish, the expectation now has to be you're the best player in the league, son. You're the best player in the league. I want to see it every single week. If not, I'm here to call you a failure. Because it would happen to anybody else. Now when Harry Kane signs, all the pressure goes off. But he doesn't have to be the best in the league anymore. Harry Kane would have to be the best player in the league. But for now, that's the pressure on Grealish. Because that's the standard that we've all held Pogba to, myself included. You're the most expensive player in the league. You should be one of the best players in the league. And Pogba's shown flashes, but he hasn't been one of the best players in the league. He'd won the season where he was. And aside from that he's been largely dis- disappointing. So I'm gonna hold Jack Grealish to the same standard. Others might not, but I will. Stank the place out at the weekend, he wasn't the only one. Loads of city players were poor. And Pep had himself a sinker as well. Um that's it then. That is the ten games run through. Uh, let's see where our man Gareth Crooks has gone wrong in his team of the week this week. He has gone with Alison Becker in goal. That's fair enough. Didn't have a bunch to do, but what he did, he did brilliantly. He made, made one great save. Uh, Tanganga, fair. Chalaba. Uh, yeah, fine. He scored his goal. He got clean sheet in his debut. We will, that's fine. Uh, he's gone for Van Dykes. So that's a no. Uh, wasn't the best Liverpool centre-back, let alone the best centre-back in the league. Uh he's gone for son, he was excellent. Pogba, Bruno. He's picked Marcus Alonso. He's picked Marcus Alonso purely because he scored a goal. That's the only reason he's done that. Alonso's not in this team. Uh, he's gone Salah, he's gone Greenwood, and he's gone Richarlison. Uh, Van Dyke would be a no and Alonso would be a no. Uh but all the rest is absolutely fine. So a nine out of eleven uh for Garth Crooks, that's actually excellent for him. Normally he's got three or four stinkers. Wonder if he's put with anything stupid this week. Uh let's see, blah blah blah. Norwich, on the other hand, looked woefully out of their depth. He didn't watch the Liverpool game. He didn't watch the Liverpool Norwich game. Uh meanwhile, Norwich have spent a season out of the Premier League but don't seem to have learned any lessons from the sabbatical. They've returned to the top flight with players who might be good enough to win the championship. But I will put money in them not surviving this season in the Premier League. Right, I now am officially on the hoping Norwich stay in the Premier League bandwagon, just for this idiot to be wrong. Norwich didn't look out of their depth at all. And if you look through that team, Cantwell is absolutely a Premier League player. So is Rashika. Pookie proved last time he was up he could be too. Um, the keepers, Tim Cruz played Premier League for years. Max Aaron's is a quality player. Billy Gilmore is one of the best young midfielders in the country. Rupp is decent. This just insulting, absolutely insulting to suggest these lads aren't good enough for the Premier League. There's a couple of them, without question. I think Grant Hanley's probably one of them, who's a little bit out of his depth at Premier League. But nobody on the day looked woefully out of their depth, and the team as a whole certainly didn't look woefully out of their depth. So fingers crossed. Norwich can stay up, just to stick it up him. What a twat. Uh, Jaffa Tanganga. He's no Cyril Knowles. Right. He's no Cyril Knowles. Cyril Knowles is a, was a left back. Probably the greatest left back in Spurs history. He he's a left back. So of course no Cyril Knowles, he's not a left back, you fool. Uh, Trevor Chalaba. No, nothing ridiculous there. Uh Youngman's son Kane might be a world class player blah 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 Yeah, no, that's fine um, he is telling he is telling Spurs to sell to take the money uh, I think they should as well but it might be a little bit too late I'd be asking for players and money but it is what it is Um Bruno blah 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 that's fine Pogba I've said it before and I'll say it again when Paul Pogba's on song, he's practically unplayable. Um, the France World Cup winner provided more assists against Leeds in the 4-1 drubbing than his entire total last season. How is that possible? Asks Gart. Well, because he was crap last year is how it's possible. Pogba was awful in the 2021 season. Uh, Marcus Alonso, we've come to expect these type of things. God he talks some absolute nonsense Perhaps I expected to see some sort of fighting spirit, passion and determination from from Palace Perhaps I'm expecting too much from Patrick Vieira but forgive me wasn't that why he was appointed No he wasn't appointed for fighting spirit and passion He's not a passion merchant you fool he was appointed to bring a new style to the club. A new direction to the club. I hope he's not going to be another one of these great players. Who when it comes. When they become coaches. Play the game on the tactics board. And forget what made them fine players in the first place. Ah oh, this guy is brilliant. This guy is absolutely magnificent. Mo Salah. Regular readers will know I have had issues with Salah's game. But I saw no signs of selfishness. Literally one of the most unselfish players in the league. Season after season after season. Literally gives up 7-8 to eight goals a season. To try and pass to other players. This guy is just... You know what? The team selection. Here we go, here we go. Uh, Rafa Benitez owes Richarlison a debt of gratitude Richarlison gave him a brilliant start Did he? Or did Rafa put him in a position to do so? What a crock What an absolute crock What did he say about Van Dijk actually? Be interested in that one It's good to see him back But it was the clean sheet that clinched it for me It wasn't even a blistering performance by Liverpool They won this game at a counter None of this stuff is true Van Dijk is short of match practice and still needs to go over the psychological trauma of the injury sustained last season. But his sheer presence and authority in defence is visible. That is true. Uh We will know after six or seven games if the most complete defender since Rude Kruhl. What? Well, well, first of all, Ruud Kruhl was a great defender. But Rude Kruhl was like a utility defender who could play anywhere across the back line or as a holding midfielder. He was never a specialist, he wasn't a centre-back, he wasn't a right-back, he wasn't a left-back, he wasn't a defensive midfielder. He was just a defender, and he could be plugged in wherever. He never specialised in one position. You wouldn't say he was a top 20 defender ever as a left-back, as a centre-back. But you might say as an overall defender, maybe he's top 20 of all time. Certainly not. Specialist like Van Dyke. What a bizarre thing. This guy's a fool. He just is. He, f- fair enough, he got nine of his 11-man uh, team that you wouldn't argue with, but some of the things he writes are just shambolic. Uh, we'll wrap up with the gossip to take the stench of Garth Crook, uh, Garth Crooks office. Uh, French striker Kylian Mbappe has turned down a six-year extension with Paris Saint-Germain and would prefer to move to Real Madrid this summer. This is from Marcus. So this is, Real Madrid attempting to put pressure on PSG now. None of this is coming from France. All of this is coming from Spain. Here's more from Spain. Mbappe did not join his team for Ander, excuse me, for Ander Herrera's birthday party on Sunday and is set for meeting with Paris Saint-Germain president Nasser Al-Khalifi on Monday. Again, from Spain. Pau Torres has rejected a move to Tottenham as Spurs cannot offer Champions League football and Villarreal can. Yeah, Villarreal in the Champions League having won the Europa League. I don't know if he did turn them down. I don't know what the truth is there. The only reporting I saw came from a Portuguese journalist who I don't know that would have the inside track on Pau Torres, a Spanish international at Villarreal, a Spanish club, going to Tottenham, an English club. But you know, it does look like they were interested, but maybe they just didn't make the right offer. Maybe it was the club that turned them down. Um, but Spurs clearly looking for the centre back and that's good to see. Chelsea are looking to sign Jude Bellingham before the window closes as an alternative to Declan Rice. Uh, this seems like tripe because number one, Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice are totally different players. And number two, Dortmund have been pretty clear that Jude Bellingham is going nowhere this year. I would suggest Jude Bellingham is going nowhere next year. I think it will be 2023 before Bellingham leaves Dortmund. I think they sell sell Sancho this year, Haaland next year. and I think Bellingham goes the following year and then maybe Gio Reyna the one after that. But Dortmund certainly aren't going to cash in on on Bellingham when he's got so much more development to come and so much more about him so we'll just call that tripe Uh, Arsenal want to sign Latour Martinez and will turn to Antonio Conte if Mikel Arteta is sacked he's not going to get sacked after one game let's be clear he's definitely not getting sacked after one game and I don't imagine Conte is going to want that job because the club is a mess. Now, long term, there's plenty to, to build. There's plenty to, that you can do there. Like You look at a back three of White, Saliba and Gabriel. Long term, very promising. Very, very promising. Kieran Tierney is your left wing back is fine. You'll need a right wing back. Uh, you could use Maitland-Niles there in the short term. And he'd be absolutely fine. Thomas Partey is one of your centre midfield players. Uh You'll need another because Jacques is dreadful. And then up front, you've got plenty of good options. So, yeah, I mean, if Conte walked in, goalkeeper and a proper holding midfielder is probably all he needs to get them turned around and moving in the right direction. But I, I just don't know that they'd be the type of club he'd go to. Don't think he'd get on very well with Edu, who's incompetent. Don't think he'd get on well with that ownership group. And I don't know that they'd be willing to put up with how aggressively ambitious he is. I think that's the best way to put it. He's aggressively ambitious. Uh, Leeds want to secure Patrick Bamford on a long-term contract to fend off interest from Spurs. I've said before, if you're looking for a backup for for Kane, Bamford is probably the closest you'll get in the English game. Uh, I think he's better off staying at Leeds, though, being the guy there. Uh, Liverpool are unlikely to sign a new attacker this summer unless both Jordan Shaqiri and Divock Origi leave the club. Um It's tripe, to be honest. Not really going to read too much into what the Express have to say. Uh, Barcelona will only go back into the transfer market if they receive a significant fee for Martin Braithwaite. And they view two Arsenal attackers as potential replacements. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alex Lacazette. So Barca, who are broke and could barely afford to register the players, now think they're going to sign Aubameyang. It's brilliant. Uh, Juventus are eager to re-sign Miro Limpianic after a year after selling him to Barcelona. And the Spanish giants are willing to let him leave for free. I don't know that that's true, but they're definitely willing to let him leave. Chelsea, Manchester City and Manchester United are all tra- tracking Mets, Senegal midfielder Pape Matar-Sar. Very, very talented by all accounts. Fiorentina have rejected Atletico Madrid's bid of £51 million for Serbian striker Dusan Vlahovic, who has also attracted attention from Tottenham. His price has skyrocketed this summer. It's so strange. Um Atletico Madrid are interested in signing Matthias Cunha from Hertha Berlin. While talks are not progressing... ...over signing Rafa Mir from Wolves. This is from the spoofer with the catchphrase. Now the spoofer... ...said last week... ...done deal, here we go soon. He has deleted that tweet... ...in case you hadn't noticed... ...he deletes a lot of tweets. A lot of tweets. The man has less than 10,000 cent tweets. He's been on Twitter years... ...and he tweets all day every day. If you think he doesn't have more than 10,000 tweets sent... ...in his time on Twitter... you're ...you're just deluded... He deletes hundreds of tweets. He deleted his tweets most recently about Mir, but forgot to delete some of the older ones, where he was talking about how it was very close, how it was progressing, personal terms agreed, since days, all this kind of crap. Uh, he hasn't breeze what he's talking about. West Ham lost out to Roma in the race to sign Tammy Abraham, after refusing to meet his wage demands. I I'd imagine the price might have been a bit prohibitive. So, it looks like it's €40 million Euro Plus 5 million in add-ons and Chelsea get a €80 million Euro buyback option, I think for 2024. So, all in all, pretty good deal I think for all parties. I think he'll do pretty well there. Uh Flamengo are making their final push to sign Kennedy on loan from Chelsea, while centre-back Matt Miazga is in advance talks to join Alaves on loan. Uh Liverpool have agreed to let Ben Davies join Sheffield United on a season-long loan. The Blades are willing to let left-back Max Lowe go on loan to Swansea, which could see Swansea's Jake Bidwell join Middlesbrough. I don't know why they'd let Max Lowe go on loan. He should be the starting left-back. Um... Republic of Ireland midfielder James McLean is a target for Bolton and Wigan. After being told he can leave Stoke. I want him to go to Celtic. That's where I want him to go. And that's it then. That is the show. If the sound was weird today or anything was off, apologies. It's all my fault. I do not have Guy Drinkle with me today. Uh So I'm recording this by myself and will be sending it across to Nina Kaiser on Anfield Index to put it out. So if any of the sound is wrong, that's on me. Like if it's only in one earphone or anything, that's my fault. Apologies. It will be better... Wednesday, uh, when Guy is back. Tomorrow it might just be me by me lonesome again, so that could be messy. But, you know, we're doing our best. Uh, thanks for listening. See you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Network.